All right. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, you please turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning, Lord willing, on a message I've titled, When Your Brook Dries Up. When Your Brook Dries Up. 1 Kings 17, and when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? 1 Kings chapter 17, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Lord, I thank you for these songs and the, the fellowship and, and just the sweet spirit that, that's here this morning. Well, God, now I'm asking you to help us as we try to preach this morning to glorify you and you only, God. If anything comes from this message today, Lord, may it magnify Jesus Christ. Lord, help us keep our tongue from stammering. Lord, preach through us and for us, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, we had this man, Elijah, who suddenly dropped in out of the, out of nowhere into the Old Testament. This is the first we hear about this man up to this point. Um, he's never been mentioned before and we don't know really anything about him. We don't know who his parents are. You know, a lot of times in the Bible, when they give you someone's name, they tell you who their parents were. That's important to know. But the Lord doesn't mention his parents. The only thing we know is he's from Gilead. And his name means Jehovah is my God. That's what his name means. Uh, I like Elijah. I mean, of, of all the prophets in the Bible, I love them. I love Jeremiah, like Elisha, you know, all these great prophets. Isaiah, he brings us so many things. But Elijah, there's something about him that just kind of gets me all excited. Uh, he's an excitable guy. And I love how he just comes out and gets right in the face of the most powerful man on, on his face of the earth. They're the king of, of uh, the northern kingdoms. At this time, the kingdoms are split, so this is the uh, Israel. So Ahab is the king of Israel, the northern kingdoms, and uh, I believe Asa is still the king there in Judah. But uh, here we find him getting right in the face of him. He's the most powerful man in the kingdom. And uh, we know from reading our Bibles that he had been praying for this moment to happen. Because we see in the New Testament, in the book of James, James 5, 17 through 18, the Bible says Elias, which is the Greek rendering of the name Elijah, by the way, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit." So we find a few things in our New Testament about this Old Testament prophet. What a great thing we find out. And in fact, what I like about it, the Bible says that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. 
you know what that means, don't you? He was not an angel. You know, a lot of people think Elijah was an angel. He wasn't an angel. He was a prophet. He was a man called by God, but he was a flesh and bone man like we are. And he had same like passions. What does that mean? Well, here the, the, the writer here, uh, James, of course, his passion was to what? To do all things holy, to lift up the Lord, to uh, make sure the message is carried. And so that's the same message that Elijah had. And he, Elijah was sick over what was going on in God's kingdom. I mean, this king, uh, Ahab, he was, he was supposedly supposed to be God's king. Uh, he's ruling over the children of Israel there in those ten tribes in the northern kingdom. He, of all people, should have been a holy man. But unfortunately, we don't find but maybe one king in all that uh, northern kingdom, the kings of Israel, that was even a good king. All of the Bible talks about did evil in the sight of God. But uh, there was a lot of things going on at this time, and Elijah was heartbroken over it. So he prayed to God that he would allow the rain to stop, dry it up. And let me tell you something. If you want to get people's attention, dry up their water. Have you ever been a while without water? Uh, we used to rent a place that had well water, and it didn't work if the electricity went out because we needed the pump to bring the water up. It was an electric pump. And when the electricity would go out, we didn't have any water. You couldn't flush the toilet. You couldn't take a shower. You couldn't get a drink. And it was misery. One time our power was out like all day, and we thought we was going to die. Uh, but uh, if you want to get somebody's attention, take their water from them because is everything starts dying. Uh, there's, uh, people are hoarding any bit of water they can possibly find. It gets, things get bad. And so Elijah praised God to let this happen in the kingdom to teach these people a lesson, to try to turn them around, to bring them back to God. That's the whole purpose. So what were some of the bad things? Well, if you look back a chapter in 1 Kings 16, you'll find some things here about this King Ahab. 16, 1 Kings 16 and 29, the Bible says, and in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. So they had to put up with this guy twenty-two years as their king. And Ahab, the, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Did you see that? So this king, at this point in time, has been more evil, done more things God has hated than any other king before him. He's the seventh king in the northern kingdom. And then what, there was five before that, before the kingdoms were split. And so he's, he's been uh, the worst of all of these, these kings. And that's saying something. Verse 31, and it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took the wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. My goodness, do you see what this guy's done? The Bible says as if it had been a light thing to him. In other words, it didn't bother him a bit. It didn't bother Ahab at all to go and marry this this woman who her, her father's a priest of Baal. That's what her father is. He's a priest of Baal, Baal worship. <laughs> and here uh, she has apparently talked him into uh, building also an altar there and, and a place to worship for Baal there in the very kingdom, God's kingdom. That had never happened before. This is a first that we're seeing. 
And so th- this is this is horrible. This is going on during Elijah's time. I am sure he is sick over it all. I mean, he's a man of God. It's just like us being sick over the things that are going on in this world that we know are evil, that we know are sinful, we know are rotten. We look at it and it breaks our heart. It causes us grief and we, and we worry and we wonder, Lord, how long? We're like those under the altar praying for God. When are you going to take vengeance? Uh, but Ahab here, we see all these things that's going on. And, of course, we're very familiar with his wicked wife, Jezebel. Out of all the women that's mentioned in the Bible, she's the very worst. Uh, in fact, they win the prize for the most evil couple in the Bible, <laughs> if you're giving out prizes. But uh, the prophet Elijah's burden for Israel. So we praise to God that he would cease the rain and to punish them. Verse 2, back in our text, 1 Kings 17 and 2. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Now, this is an interesting thing here. All of a sudden, uh, this, this man's come before Ahab. He's got right in his face and, and told him here, uh, what did he say? And uh, There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And then he just leaves. <laughs> And so the next thing, the Lord speaks to him, and he, he tells him a place to go by this brook, Cherith, uh, that's before Jordan. Now, at that time, there's still water. Uh, the, the, the drought takes a little while for everything to dry up, you know. It doesn't all of a sudden uh, occur that way, unless the Lord calls it. He can. He can do that. Uh, Moses parted over on dry ground across that sea, so uh, he can do whatever he wants. But uh, So why would the Lord all of a sudden start hiding Elijah? Why do you have to hide well, we'll see that in the next chapter. If you look over in chapter 18, 1 Kings 18, verses 7 through 11, we get a little inside information of, of why uh, he's had to be hidden. 1 Kings 18 and 7. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hands of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whether my Lord has not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here? So this man, Obadiah, he works for Ahab, the king. Uh, and he comes along and, and meets up with Elijah, and he's, he's like, are you Elijah? And he says, yes, I am, and you go tell your boss, go tell King Ahab that I'm here. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, every time somebody comes to report that, you, that they've seen you, uh, they die. <laughs> are you sending me to, to die? Because you have a bounty on your head. Elijah has a bounty on his head. Ahab wants to kill him. He sends people out constantly looking for him. And so that's why the Lord has hid him away here by this brook Cherith to watch over him. And so he's looking out for him. Look at verse 4 back in 1 Kings 17 and 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So the Lord's not only hiding uh, Elijah from Ahab's wrath and death sentence, but he's making sure he's well fed and taken care of. God takes care of his people. I'll just tell you right now, God takes care of his people. And not only that, he uses a very unlikely means to do it. Do you see what he sent to feed him? A raven. You know what a raven is, don't you? 
yeah, it's, it's a nasty old ravenous. That's where we get that word, raven, ravenous uh, bird. And they are a, uh, they, they eat, they, they devour. Uh, they're birds of prey. They're not nice birds. <laughs> they're not sparrows. They're birds of prey. And most of the time, a raven would, would probably have plucked your eyes out rather than feed you. And so we see that God can use any means that he wants to to get through with what he wants to do. In fact, he can use some dumb old guy like me to preach his word. He can use someone like you. You may feel useless and worthless and not worth anything, but God can use you. All you've got to do is be able to be willing to step out and be used. And that's one of our biggest problems. They were not willing to step out and be used. We're afraid. We're bashful. We're shy. We can't do that. We can't do this. We make this whole list of things that we're unable to do. And all the time, God's saying, you quit. Quit. I've got this. I'm the one that's going to do it through you. You just do it. But yet we, we hold back. We won't do it. We're, we're too scared. Oh, somebody else would be good at that, Lord. No, no, you would be good at it. And so... You know, the Lord's going to take care of him here and use any means that he wants to get the job done. Uh, verse 5, it says, So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. He drank of the brook. Well, it sounds like a pretty good setup, doesn't it? Uh, here he is by this brook. Everything, it's quit raining. There's been no dew. But yet this brook is still running. And God's got him stashed away there beside it. He's able to drink when he wants. He's getting food delivered to him. He had uh, the food delivery service way before we did. And so a raven comes by and drops it there to him to eat and uh, flesh and bread both. Uh, I wonder where that raven got the, that stuff at. You think he went over to Ahab's and maybe stole it off his table? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, here he brings him this stuff. He's getting well fed and everything. And and I'm sure that uh, the Lord or Elijah is is meditating and praying and being thankful for what the Lord's done for him and, and all those things. And listen, one of the things that, that happens to us is when we get in a comfortable place, we, we tend to want to stay there. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone and do anything that might keep us from being comfortable. Uh, I was much like that before when God was calling me to preach. I did not want to get out of my comfort zone and stand before people and preach. I used to be the guy that would not even look you in the face. I still can't hardly. But uh, I'd be the guy that go like this. You go in a room and I'm I'm like this because I don't want to see anybody talk. No, I don't. I was bashful. And uh, they called me backward when I was a kid. Uh, we were all backward. My dad was backward. My papa's backward. We're all backward. And so when the Lord was calling me to preach, I told him, you know, no, you, you're mistaken. Uh, you know, I can't do that. I was much like Moses standing there, God, you know, but the Lord, he'll help us. But we, we, we tend to not want to get out of our comfort zone and do something that the Lord wants us to do because we're so connected and we cherish that thing so much. I'm sure Elijah would love to have just sat right there and waited for this three years of this drought and just drank from the brook and ate and been delivered food and all that, sat there and got all fat and everything. He'd love to do that. But that's not what God's got in mind. And so what the Lord's doing now, he's getting ready to prepare this man for the greatest thing he'll ever do in his entire life. And that's what he does with us, by the way. Sometimes all these uncomfortable situations that God puts us in is to prepare us to do something that he has in mind for us to do that's much greater than what we may be doing now.
You may be doing a little something for the Lord, and that's great. I'm glad if you are. He may have something much larger for you to do, and you're holding back from Him. How about getting out of your comfort zone and say, okay, Lord, I will give this a try, and step out there and let Him start giving you a try. And you'll find that when you're in God's will, you're much better off than you were in your will. It's always better in God's will. Verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the unimaginable happens. Oh, Elijah's laying there. He's been drinking every day that he wants, uh, getting to his heart's content. And I could just see every day maybe that water got a little lower because this drought's been going on a while now. And so things are drying up and maybe he kept an eye on the water levels. Maybe he stuck a stick in there and said, okay, right here. And he made a mark. It's, this is high today. The next day it's, it's down below the mark. And so every day I'm sure he watches it as the water gets lower and lower, probably kept a keen eye on that water line to see how much had gone down overnight. And then suddenly one day he gets up to get a drink and there's no water in the brook. Uh Oh, now what? What do we do, Lord? There's no water. For those that you that may not know what a brook is, it's the same thing as a creek. I'm sure you all know what that is. When I was a little boy, I used to play in a creek. If you go out of my parents' uh, property, cross Maloneville Road, go through a barbed wire fence, walk through a cow pasture, and over another barbed wire fence, you'll get in Roseberry Creek. Now, that's my daily routine when I was a boy. That's what I did every day. I went to the creek to fish. I went to the creek to, to uh, frog gig. I went to the creek to, to, uh, do all, uh, to swim. We did everything in that creek. Roseberry at that time was deep. I mean, even as a little boy, it was almost up to my head. It was very deep. We would jump in off a railroad trestle into the creek to swim. And so it was very nice. We would do that. And then suddenly I started noticing as the years went by, the roseberry started getting lower and lower. And eventually, of course, I, I moved away from home, got married. But I took my son there just a, a couple of years ago to show him old stomping grounds. I said, Matthew, let's go, and I want to show you where I, where I used to go when I played when I was a boy. And so we did it all. We crossed over the bob bar fences and got chased by cows and everything else. And we got over there, and there's railroad tracks, by the way. I forgot to mention there's a railroad track that crosses over Roseberry. We got on the track and started walking over to the bridge where we used to jump into the water to swim, and there was maybe a trickle of water. I mean, just, and it wasn't, there was not a drought going on either, but there was just a trickle of water. I was amazed that all this had happened. And by the way, where the banks used to be real high and steep, they'd now flattened out. They were almost no bank hardly. And so over time, the dirt, of course, had eroded and the waters have dried up and there's not much in there. And so it was all very depressing. Have you ever had a time in your life when you looked when things used to be flowing and things looked great and, and you were uh, so comfortable and then all of a sudden you look around and things are dried up? Lord, what happened? My life was going fine. And now what's happened, God? You come home one day, maybe something changed. Maybe, you know, you're, uh, you don't have a worry in the world and you're feeling just fine and all of a sudden you get some kind of spot on your arm or something. You go to the doctor and he's like, hey, that's cancer. What? what? What do you mean other people get that? That happened. My sister, she just, uh, she was healthy and, and vibrant and 
worked in the church. She played the piano. She sang. She did all these things. She had two kids and, and, a, and a husband and just a great job. She was a medical transcriptionist, and she could type a million words a minute. And, she, you know, she was great at that. She was going to give her trans, transcription uh, tapes and things over to the, the place she worked for. And uh, she fell down getting out of the car. She's only, what, she was 30, I think 35 years old. And, uh, you know, the, Michael, t- her husband took her to the doctor, and her white blood cell count was, you know, crazy. And uh turned out she had leukemia. <laughs> and I'll never forget, uh, we were having a, a little cookout outside. Dad used to love to have a cookout out in the front yard, and uh, we roast hot dogs and drink hot chocolate, and we had all this food. And... I came and Pam was sitting on a, on a bench there in the front yard and just looking, you know, real, real down and everything. I said, what's wrong, Pam? Why don't you get up and let's get something to eat? She said, I just don't feel like it. And that was not Pam. Um, she was ready and willing to eat just like I am all the time. She couldn't eat. She, in fact, she didn't eat hardly anything after she got diagnosed with it. She went through all the, all the treatments. She had a bone marrow transplant down in Vanderbilt. All these things, you know, and we prayed and prayed for a whole year. Her life was misery, and she died. My sister, my big sister, died at just 30-something years old from leukemia. Our family was devastated. This don't happen to us. This ha- We've heard of other people that had it, but not us. And suddenly our, our brook dries up. Pam's gone. You know, things things can happen quickly. You know, you might be asleep in your bed one night and the phone rings and you get a, a call that someone you loved has, has passed away. Your brook dries up. Maybe you've got a really good job, but you might go to work tomorrow. I may go to work tomorrow and they may say, look, Byron... You know, we no longer need your services. What? Brook dries up. You know, sometimes we get too comfortable beside the brook. And we go through life and we experience all these things that God allows us to go through, by the way. God is sovereign. But we go through and we experience many dry brooks. The, the, the thing is, how do we get through the dry period? What do we do about it? It's what we do in return what determines the kind of person that we are. Do we just flat give up? Do we take a gun and put it in our mouth and and, and end things? Uh, Do we jump off a bridge? What do we do? Well, we turn to the Lord. That's what we do. As a Christian, we turn to the Lord. I don't know what these people that don't know the Lord do in their times when their brook dries up. That's why we have so many people that's on, that has alcohol and drugs and, and do all these things because they don't have the Lord in their life to look to, to lean on. Oh, friends, when your brook dries up, we've got to look to the Lord. We must love the Lord more than we love the brook. You may have heard people say, well, God will never give you more than you can bear. Show me that in the Bible. You're not going to find it in the Bible because it's not in there. The Bible does not say that. They base that on a statement 
of a false interpretation of Scripture. They're taking uh, a passage of Scripture the Apostle Paul wrote, and where it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That has nothing to do with God giving you not giving you more than you can bear. In fact, the complete opposite is true. God will most certainly give you more than you can bear. And the reason is He wants you to rely upon Him and not yourself. And so these little cute Christian cliches, you know, well, God will never give you anything more than you can bear. Yes, He will. If you're a Christian, He most certainly will. All through the Bible you will find men where God has done that. Moses, you would think of all people where God's going to use him to do all these things, but he had to do some of the biggest jobs that God had in store for him, and he had to suffer so many things because of it. You look at a man like Joseph, wrongfully accused of, 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 of committing a sexual crime against, against Pharaoh's wife, or not Pharaoh, but Potiphar's wife, and he was thrown into prison for years over something he didn't do. And, and that guy, of anybody in the Bible you'll find, he was like innocent. <laughs> he was innocent. The Apostle Paul tested all those years. Even before he got saved, he was being tested. Don't you think that's what God was doing to him when he, when he, he was, had all that hatred built up in his heart to go out and persecute Christians? Well, sure it was. That's why the Lord said it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Because he was kicking against that the Holy Spirit calling him, Paul, i got something for you to do. I've got something for you to do. And so he was kicking against that. So the Lord will give you more than you can handle so that you'll rely upon him. All these men, all through the Bible, they have faced so many things, testing to be developed into what God wanted them to be so he could use them for his purposes. But it's through the hard times when our brook dries up, that we'll either, we'll either grow into the, the man or woman that God wants us to, or we'll revert into being a little baby that's being useless and not good for anything. So what are we going to do? Well, when your brook dries up, you can't bear it. So who needs to bear it? The Lord. Cast all your cares upon me, for I careth for you, the Bible says. That's where we need to turn. No doubt Elijah was standing there looking at that dry brook, had a dry mouth, probably would have gave anything to have a good drink of water. Where's the next drop coming from, Lord? Uh, you know, and all those times that the ravens come and, and nourished him and gave him the food, I'm sure that's gone now. The Bible doesn't mention it being gone, but the brook dried up. And if the brook dried up and the drought's hit, there's no bread going to be able to be able to make, and, and the flesh is all going to go bad because all the, the animals are going to die. And so he's got cut off of everything here. And uh, But Elijah did not give up. He didn't give up. He waited on the Lord. We don't see in the Bible where Elijah got all mad and started stomping around saying, God, I, I don't know why in the world I served you. Why would you do this to me? Here I had everything fine and all of a sudden you, you let this happen? After you were the one that, that made the drought, the, the, the reason that I prayed for it. And now here you're doing this to me. We don't find that in the Bible. Elijah was a man who relied upon God, and as, as that brook dried up, I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for him, but I believe with all my heart he was looking to the Lord and waiting 
he waited on the Lord. Because in the next verses there in our opening text, 1 Kings 17, 8 and 9, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So I believe Elijah just waited on the Lord to direct him on his next path. One of the hardest things for us to do, because we're always, we're the now generation. We got to have it all now. I'm that way. I'm bad about it. You know, if I want to eat, I want to eat now. I don't want to wait two hours on something, you know, or an hour or whatever it's going to take. I want to eat right now. If I've got to go, if I'm going to go to a restaurant, I don't want to wait in line. It just irritates me to death. Why in the world can't they get this line going? <laughs> Let's go somewhere else. I'm the guy in the grocery store that'll get in line and, and be constantly looking to see the next one that's shortest. I'll hop over there and something will happen. They'll need a price check or something. And I'm just irritated. I'm irritated. But that's the way we are today. We want everything instantly. That's why we've got instant potatoes, which are nasty compared to what Mary fixes. Uh, all this instant stuff, you know, but we, we do it because it's convenient for us. You know, instant popcorn. You remember how long it used to take to, to cook popcorn on the stove? You had to put it in a pot with some oil in there and the lid on it and, and you know, wait for it and all that. Now you just stick it in the microwave, walk away, and three minutes later, you got a bag of popcorn. But that's what we are. We're, we're the now generation, and we don't want to wait, and especially if it's something to do with the Lord. We don't want to wait. And so we'll pray and think that God ought to answer our prayer immediately. Well, Lord, I prayed about this. How in the, why in the world has it not happened yet? Isn't that how we are? I heard somebody say, just pray uh, pray to the Lord and walk away and forget it and let him take care of it. I don't believe that's biblical. I believe the Bible teaches us to keep going, to pray without ceasing. And so we are to pray. We're to, 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 to get down and, 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 and petition the Lord for those things that we're in need of. And he will listen. And it may not be answered in the time frame you think it ought to be answered in. But it's hard for us. In Psalms 27 and 14, the Bible says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Why do you think he repeated it? <laughs> because our heads as hard as a rock. He's like, wait on the Lord. What? Wait on the Lord. Sometimes i got to be told things more than once. And when you see things repeated in the Bible, it's because God wants you to make sure that you've got it. We need to be more like Elijah and wait on the Lord in those times when it seems our brook is dried up. Everything's hopeless and useless and, we, and there's nothing we can do about it. Just wait on the Lord. Do you know three years after Elijah spends time at the wid widow's home, the Lord sends him to stand face to face with King Ahab on top of Mount Carmel. And we all know the rest of the story on that, don't we? As they get up there and, and uh, they've got the prophets of Baal up there and they're cutting themselves and screaming and going on. And Elijah, you know, soaks the, the sacrifice and, and calls down fire from heaven and all that. And then the rains after. But uh, three years after he spends time in the widow's home, God places Ahab in that moment in time. And so for all those this time back here at the brook and, and all the things that happen, he's preparing Elijah for that moment in time. And so, no, your prayer may not be answered immediately. God may have something better in store for you. What if he said, okay, Elijah, go another 10 miles and I'll have another brook there. And after it dries up, we'll go to this next. I'm sure it'd be great to have a map of all the brooks that still had water in it. And God said, here's your map, Elijah. Follow this map and, and find water. Isn't that what we want today? 
Lord, I need the will for my life. Okay, give me a map. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yeah. We, we think that God's got a map that we can follow. And, and you know, I'm going to go through this door, and then I'm going through this, and I see that I'm supposed to go over It don't work that way. God doesn't give you a, a road map. What He's waiting on for you is to be trusting in Him, to rely upon Him for everything, even for guiding you to where He wants you to go. So as we journey through this life, we are going to be faced with many dry brooks. I'm 55 years old. I've faced many dry brooks. Some of you in here have probably faced 10 times more than I have faced. And friends, there, it's going to happen. If you're not in one right now, just wait. There's another one coming. So there's several things we can learn from this story, and I'll be finished. First of all, God's plan is seldom revealed in advance. Like I said, he's not got a, a road map for you to hand you to show you what your next step is. Just wait on the Lord. Rely upon him. Trust in him, and he will lead you. He'll guide your feet. Secondly, we must be willing to be set aside to be used. God loves people that's willing to be used. He could force you to do things if he wanted to. In fact, all of us, we could come down and, and gave our heart to the Lord. He could have saved us and then forced us to do whatever he wanted us to do. But just as a, a lady said over here before she sang, that God gives us free will. And so what he desires from us is to be obedient to him and trust in him and put all of our cares upon him and follow him. In fact, that's the whole thing about being saved is to follow Jesus, not self. But we must be willing to be set aside, to be used. And it don't mean you're going to be numero uno. That's what men want today. People today, they say they've been called to preach. They want to pastor the biggest church in the county right when they, they get called. You know, oh, I'm going to pastor. And, and that's what their sights are set on. And that's why you're going to find in a lot of these big churches, you're going to find all these pews right here filled with men that said they've been called to preach. And there they sit. Because they want this guy's job that's right here. But they're not willing to go out and hit the highways and hedges and, and preach in the cow pastures and in the street corners and in, in little churches that need people to come in and preach. They're not willing to do that because that's not big enough for them. We've got to be willing to be set aside and used by God wherever, whenever He wants us to be. Not in our own time. Thirdly, we must learn to trust God for our daily provisions. All, that's all Elijah could do. He had to just trust God. Lay there by that brook, wait for the, the raven to come and feed him, and, and then the next place for God to send him to the widow's house to be, to be nourished. And we got to rely upon God for our daily provision. Fourth, most importantly, we must be willing to trust God even when those daily provisions fail. We got to stop taking matters into our own hands. And, and just let the Lord provide. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How many here is like me today? Always trying to figure everything out on their own. Lord, I, you know, I, I don't want to bother you with this. <laughs> you know, I've got enough intellect here and, and uh, knowledge and and I, I know how I can I can do this. Yeah, that's the way we we tend to get. 
if we would just trust in the Lord with not part of our heart. The Bible says, all, all thine heart. And not lean unto thine own understanding. Every time I lean unto my own understanding, it's usually a failure. But we need to lean upon the Lord and trust him. And he'll direct our paths. I'd like to finish this morning by reading you this, this uh, passage out of Romans chapter 8. And remind you, when your brook dries up, Romans 8 and 36, the Bible says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and and you're in a dry brook now. Maybe things are going on in your life and you don't know what in the world's next. Maybe you're panicked about it. Maybe you're getting ready to throw in the towel and give up. Everything seems hopeless. There's no hope. All, all seems lost. I want to tell you this morning, it's not all over with. All hope is not lost. Hope comes from the Lord. Don't lean on thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But the Lord loves you. He cares for you. He's going to take care of you. Even if things don't work out like the way you want them to, God always has the best for us in mind. He knows what we need. Trust in Him. I'd love for you to stand. Brother Scott, come get a song if you will. I'll give an invitation. If you, if you need to come down the altar for any reason, whether it be prayer or, or uh, salvation, or maybe you need to rededicate your life or whatever it is, you come down as, as, uh, as we pray. And let's, uh, let's pray the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you today for the message. Lord, you know our hearts today. You know our minds. Uh, the Bible says you even know the, the number of hairs on our head. And God, you know those times that we're going through. Lord, they may be one here today, God, that is ready to give up. God, their brook may be dry. But Lord, we know that you have in mind what's best for us. Lord, that we need to trust in you and lean on you. God, if that one today needs help, would you... Would you help them today? Lord, would they just turn things over to you? Lord, just just make our hearts pliable today, Lord, in accepting of your word and your will. God, help push our, our own will out of the way, God, and our own thoughts and our own understanding, God. May it flee from us, Lord, and we only place our minds and thoughts upon you, Lord, and trust you. God, if there's one today that needs help today, would you help them? Lord, lead them to the altar. Let us pray with them, God, if there's one today. Help us, Father, as we sing, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.